this afternoon we will be considering Baptist Catechism numbers 54 and 55. Uh, this is fitting. It's a wonderful thought to consider. Uh, youth, are you paying attention? I hope that you are. This is the Catechism teaching. We'll discuss it on Wednesday. Please be following along on that outline that we provide for you as well. Which is the second commandment? Catechism question 54 asks. <clears throat> Answer. The second commandment is, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down, to thy, down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. That is Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. That's a long passage. Uh, perhaps you're able to memorize it. It would be good to work on memorizing it. Um, but stated more simply, which is the second commandment? The second commandment is, You shall not make unto thee any graven image. Question 55. What is required in the second commandment? Answer. The second commandment requireth the receiving observing and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in His Word. That is a very important principle. So let's pay careful attention to it. The reading for this afternoon will be Deuteronomy 12, 28-32. Who wrote the book of Deuteronomy? Does anyone know? Moses did. It's the second giving of the law. The law was given at Sinai and Deuteronomy was written, given before the people of Israel entered into the promised land. So it's filled with further explanations of God's law. Deuteronomy 12, 28. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dis dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? That I also may do the same." You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. This is now the reading of God's most holy word. What a wonderful text. Do you understand what's going on here in this passage? The Lord is saying to Israel, I'm going to give you the land you're going to drive out the nations that are there. But don't inquire about their gods or how they worship so that you may do as they have done. That is, so that you may become idolatrous. Uh, don't do that. Instead, let me read the last verse again. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. So God is to be worshipped in the way that He has commanded Positively and negatively, we are not to add to it, we are not to take from it. As we continue our study of the Ten Commandments and come now to the second of the ten, 
I wanted to remind you of what 1 Timothy 1.8 says. There Paul tells Timothy that the law is good if anyone uses it lawfully. The law is good, brothers and sisters. It is good in and of itself, it must be, for it comes from God's hand. And it is good for us. The law shows us our need for a Savior. It also is a light for our feet as we sojourn in this dark world. So then, Christians must know God's law and strive to obey it. But as we study God's law, do not forget how Paul qualified his statement. Now we know that the law is good if one uses, uses it lawfully. So there is a warning here. The law is not good for us if we misinterpret it and if we misuse it. And how do people misuse God's law? Well, stated very simply, men and women misuse the law when they see it as a way, a way to gain holiness and right standing before God through the keeping of it. It cannot do that for us. As we continue with our study of the Ten Commandments, please do not make that mistake. Do not see God's law as a way to earn favor with God. The law is good, but do not forget that we are sinners. We have violated God's law in thought, word, and deed. We are guilty, therefore, and in and of ourselves need Forgiveness. No amount of law keeping, no amount of good deeds will take away the problem of guilt. Only Christ could remove our guilt. Only Christ can cleanse us from our sins. Only Christ can renew us. Only Christ can make us right before God. The law cannot fix the problem of guilt. Only Christ can, for He kept God's law for His people and died in their place. We must trust in Him for the forgiveness of sins. In this sermon, we will begin to consider the second of the Ten Commandments, which is, You shall not make for yourself a carved image. That is Exodus 20, verse 4. Before we go there, you should probably be aware that the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics include this commandment in with the first, which is, You shall have no other gods before me. Did you know that? that the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics number the Ten Commandments differently than we do. So they combine the first and the second commandments, as we number them, into one. According to them, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Then you say, well, how do they have Ten Commandments still? Well, they get the one that they lost back by dividing the last commandment, which forbids covetousness, into two. They they divide that into two parts, so they still have ten. I I believe that our numbering is much more natural. For one, the last commandment forbidding covetousness does not need to be divided into two parts. It's more natural to see it as one. And two, the commandments uh, that we have considered, um, the first and the second here, uh, are clearly distinct. The first commandment teaches us who we are to worship. And the second commandment is is a bit different. It's still about worship, but it's different. The second commandment teaches us how we are to worship. Do you understand this? Who are we to worship? Well, the first commandment tells us that we are to worship God alone. The second commandment is still about worship, but it's about a different thing. How are we to worship? The answer is this. According to God's word. We are to worship in the way that God has told us to worship. We're not to add to what God has said, nor are we to take away from it. 
In fact, you would do well to remember that the first four commandments are all about the worship of God. The first tells us who we are to worship. The second tells us how we are to worship. The third instructs us concerning the attitude of our worship. We are to have reverence for God's name. And the fourth tells us about the time of worship. One day in seven is to be devoted as holy unto the Lord from Adam to the resurrection of Christ. It was the seventh day from the resurrection of Christ to the consummation. It is the first day as we look back upon the dawning of the new creation in Christ Jesus. Who are we to worship, brothers and sisters? What is the answer? Let me ask our young people. Who are we to worship? God alone. And how are we to worship? Not with images, but in the way that God has prescribed or commanded in His Word. Next Sunday we will talk about what is forbidden in the second commandment. And it will be then that we will talk more directly about the prohibition of images in worship. Okay, That is the thing that is really forbidden. No images. Today we are asking what is required in the second commandment. Clearly the second commandment forbids something. You shall not make for yourself a carved image is what it says. But what does this commandment require? That is our question for today. And our catechism is right to say the second commandment requires the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in His Word. I want you to think of the implications of this, brothers and sisters. When God says, no graven images, He is also saying, you are to worship me in the way that I have commanded. He is here claiming the right to be worshipped, not according to our imaginations, but in the way that He has commanded. That is the implication. No graven images. When God says that, He does not only say you should worship me alone, but no graven images. When God says no graven images, He is also saying you are to worship me according to my word. Not only do I have the right to be worshipped, but I have the right to say how it is that I am to be worshipped. In other words, uh, people of God, God says to you, I am not leaving it up to you. I'm not leaving it up to your imaginations. I'm not leaving it up to your creativity. I'm not leaving it up to your desires to, desire, to decide how God is to be worshipped. God is saying, you're to worship me in the way that I have commanded. Here in the second commandment, graven images are forbidden. But as we continue reading the law of Moses, we find that God was even more specific. He revealed to Old Covenant Israel how they were to worship with great precision. And as you know, He has also revealed how we who live under the New Covenant are to worship. And the point is this, we are not free to determine for ourselves how God is to be worshipped, but are bound to, now I quote the Catechism again, receive, observe, and keep pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in His Word. You, You understand this. Go read Exodus again. Read the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy especially. God tells the people of Israel how... They are to worship Him. Not only that they are to worship Him, but how. These are the elements of your worship under the Old Covenant. And this is to be the time of your worship. The Sabbath is to be kept as holy along with other festival days under the Old Covenant. I'm saying the same thing is true under the New Testament, under the New Covenant. Brothers and sisters, God's law establishes that we are not to go beyond what God has commanded 
nor are we to take away from what he has commanded regarding the worship of his most holy name. Notice that our catechism teaches that we are to receive what the Word of God says regarding the proper worship of God. That is the first word that we find in our catechism of significance. We are to receive His Word. That means that we are to submit ourselves to it. We're to receive it as God's Word and as if it is authoritative over us. And having received His Word, we are to observe or obey what the Word of God says regarding the proper worship of God. And having obeyed His Word regarding worship, we are to keep it purely and entirely. Do you kind of get the sequence here? We're to read the Scriptures and we're to receive them as God's Word to us. And having received them, we ourselves are to obey them. But then also we are to keep the purity of God's worship intact. We are to guard and preserve the purity of God's worship in its entirety. You understand, this is the task that we have as Christians individually, but especially as a congregation. All of this might seem obvious to you and rather inconsequential. But I will tell you, it is not obvious to all. It is not obvious to all. And certainly it is not inconsequential. This doctrine informs everything we do when we assemble together as Christ's church for worship. We come into this place every Lord's Day and we do certain things over and over and over again. Have you ever wondered, and I'm really addressing this to our young people, this question, you know, have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do on the Lord's Day? Why do we have this practice? Why do we do these same things again and again? The answer is uh, not because we think this is best, not because this is what we prefer, but this is what God has commanded. This is how He is to be worshipped under the new covenant. This might seem obvious to you. It's not obvious to everyone. Why do we assemble for corporate worship every week and on Sundays and not more or less frequently or on some other day? Answer, God's Word. And why do we do what we do when we assemble? Why do we pray? Why do we sing? Why do we read and teach the Scriptures? Why do we baptize and observe the Lord's Supper? Why do we do these things when we assemble together? Answer, God's Word. Now, are we free to make certain decisions based on preference or prudence? Of course. We meet at 10 a.m. and not at 6 a.m. because 6 a.m., would be unnecessarily burdensome to the people of God. Some folks have a hard enough time staying awake at 10 a.m. 6 a.m. would be more difficult. Uh, We need to meet for worship on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, but we can choose the time. It could be later. It could be earlier. This is a matter of wisdom. The sermon in the morning service is typically 45 to 50 minutes long and not three hours long. Maybe you should just think of that. It could be three hours long, you know. It could be. And why is it not three hours long? Because people, at least people in our culture, have a difficult time listening to a sermon that is longer than 45 minutes. The specific time for worship, assuming it is on the Lord's Day, the place, the language spoken, the particular order in which we do things are all called circumstances of worship. That language is helpful. All of these things having to do with the specific time, the place, the language spoken, the particular order in which we do things, these are 
circumstances of worship. The circumstances may change, but here is another very important word. The elements of worship may not. The elements of worship must not change. When the church assembles for worship, the word of God is to be read and explained. The people of God are to pray and they are to sing. Baptism is to be applied occasionally as the opportunity arises and the Lord's Supper is to be observed. These are the elements of worship under the new covenant, not more, not less. The circumstances may change, the elements must not. And you should know that Christians, professing Christians and other churches have different opinions about this. What has just been described to you goes by the name of the regulative principle of worship. Have you ever heard that phrase before? I have just described to you the regulative principle of worship. This is the Reformed view, and it is our view. It is the belief that the Scriptures regulate our worship. They tell us what the elements of worship are to be, not more, not less. In Christ, we are free to, in Christ, we are to free to worship God as He has commanded only. And we are forbidden from adding anything to our worship not commanded in the Holy Scriptures. There is another view, and it goes by the name the normative principle of worship. According to this view, the church is to do what God has commanded in worship, but is also free to do whatever is not expressly forbidden. In other words, as long as the Scriptures don't forbid it, we can do it. Think of what that opens our worship up to. (laughs) Lots and lots of things. Uh, In other words, the only off-limit things are those things that God's Word directly forbids. Uh, Do I need to tell you which view is more common today? I think you know. When churches include as elements of worship things like drama, poetry readings, painting exhibitions, dance, musical performances, and the like, they show that they have adopted the normative principle of worship. They imagine that they are free to do whatever they wish, provided that the Scriptures do not forbid it. And again, I want you to think where that will lead. In fact, the situation is far worse in some churches. Some churches do incorporate into their worship things forbidden, like images. And others neglect to do what God has commanded, like the reading and preaching of God's Word. Also, the proper observation of the Lord's Supper, to mention a couple of things. These have forgotten God's law, which says, Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Deuteronomy 12, 32. Brothers and sisters, we are not immune from this. We, as a congregation, must be resolute to receive, observe, and keep pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in His Word. We must be on guard lest we neglect or go beyond what God has commanded. Man has this awful tendency to think that his ways are better than God's ways. Um, Some have called it will worship. We are prone to bow before the altar of our own desires and creativity. And we must resist this, brothers and sisters. Instead, we must be eager to submit to God, to receive His Word, and to be found faithful in keeping it knowing that His ways are best. You, you, you can see how men and women do this. You know, man, they look in upon us and they go, your worship, it's, it's, a, it's a little boring, actually. 
you know, it, it's, it's a little, little drab. Uh, a better teaching technique would be uh, to fill in the blanks. Uh, people would be more attentive if, if you would only introduce this element or, or that. And, and really, it's very off-putting to visitors when you fence the Lord's table as strongly as you do. Uh, maybe you shouldn't observe the Lord's Supper so often, and maybe when you do observe it, you should put the elements off in the back and just invite people, whoever they are, to, to partake of the... Are you with me? It, that would be better for church growth, after all, wouldn't it? And uh, in a way, yes, it would. Uh, the church would grow in number, but the church would not grow in maturity or purity in any way. It would not be pleasing to the Lord. And so we must resist this temptation to be uh, creative in our worship. We must submit ourselves to the Word of God. Should we be wise? Yes, we should be wise. Where we have the freedom to be wise concerning the circumstances. But we must not be creative with the Word of God as it pertains uh, with the worship of God as it pertains to the elements. So what is required in the second commandment? One more time before we go to corporate prayer. The second commandment requireth the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in His Word. Amen? Let's pray. Father in Heaven, do help us in this. I pray that our worship here at Emmaus would be pure that we would worship according to the Scriptures, and that we would worship from the heart. Oh God, what a blessing it is to come before You and to give worship to Your most holy name. You have commanded how You are to be worshipped. I pray that we would be faithful, O Lord. Be pleased with us. I pray that we would not only receive Your Word and submit ourselves to it, but that we would be diligent to keep the worship of Your most holy name pure according to the Scriptures. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.